0: Leviticus 23, starting in verse 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah, they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as firstfruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You shall offer one male goat for a sin offering two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. And they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations." And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God, and this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever." Well, last week, if you were here or if you were with us online, then you will remember that we celebrated the Feast of First Fruits, and we were celebrating the very first ripening of the very first sheaves in the field, in our field of barley that we had planted and set aside for that very purpose. Now, we have come to the Feast of Pentecost, and we are celebrating the harvest of our fully mature wheat crop. Okay, so we've leapt ahead in the calendar and we are ready to harvest the wheat. So let's get oriented to the Jewish calendar like we've been doing to begin these sermons. So we had three spring feasts. That happened back to back. We covered those for the past three weeks in a row. We had Passover. We immediately transitioned into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which immediately transitioned into the Feast of Firstfruits, one after another, the early spring feast. And then there's a, now there's a pause. There was a pause. Okay, So you count out seven weeks plus one day from the Day of Firstfruits. Okay? That's why this festival is sometimes, sometimes called the Feast of Weeks. Because there are seven weeks of anticipation that lead up to it. It's also commonly referred to as Pentecost. That's because seven weeks uh, times seven we the seven days of the seven weeks, so seven times seven plus one day equals 50. And the word Pentecost means 50, so that's why it's called Pentecost sometimes. So these weeks, these seven weeks, They're full of anticipation, right? It's like if you want to think of a parallel in our own uh, church life, think of Advent, those four weeks that are full of anticipation. They're all about looking forward to the celebration of Christmas. Or think about Lent. The weeks of Lent are wonderful in and of themselves, but the point is that they are looking forward to anticipating Easter. Well, that's how it was during these weeks leading up to the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. You're looking forward to it. You're preparing your heart for it. So it became common practice for families uh, in ancient Israel during this time to read Psalm 67 every single day together during the weeks leading up to Pentecost. Now you don't have to read Psalm 67 too many times in a row to get it down, to get it memorized so you can just recite it. So families were reciting Psalm 67 every day together during the weeks leading up to the Feast of Pentecost. Psalm 67 contains seven verses representing the seven weeks leading up to Pentecost. It contains, Psalm 67 contains 49 words in the Hebrew, representing the the seven times seven. So I, I... Let's read it now. If you have your Bible, you can look it up. Psalm 67. You can imagine that we are a family, which shouldn't be hard to imagine because we are a family. And you can imagine that we are gathered together and we are anticipating, looking forward to the celebration of Pentecost. And we're reading this psalm or reciting it together. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, the earth. Has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I want us to notice a couple things about that psalm before we move on. First, I I, I notice that the psalm itself is anticipatory. Right? It's an optimistic psalm, it's a hopeful psalm, and it is looking forward to great blessing in the future. Right? It closes with that confident proclamation, our God shall bless us. We know it's true, we're pro- proclaiming it now, we're believing it, God shall bless us. It's also important to note that this psalm is not just about the people of Israel. This psalm is about global blessing. Picture these people of Israel gathered in their homes, looking forward to Pentecost, but praying for and looking forward to and celebrating the the prospect of a global blessing, a global people of God, right? They're, They're praying this and reciting it, saying, may your way be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let all the peoples praise you, not just us, Let all the peoples praise you. Let all the nations be glad. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That was the prayer that was prayed in anticipation of the Feast of Pentecost. So this is a psalm the families are reading together, reciting together, praying together every day. It is a psalm of confident hope in the future. And it is a psalm of global blessing that will be for all the nations and all the peoples. Okay? That's what, that, that was the anticipation leading up to Pentecost. All right, we'll come back to that. But for now, let's jump ahead to the actual celebration of Pentecost. As you have become used to by now, as we have looked at these feasts over the past month or so, uh, in order to begin this feast, we're going to have to gather here at the bronze altar. Because our expression of worship is going to begin was sacrifice. Such a big part of the way we express our worship is sacrifice. Um, I've already brought in, I brought in um, part of the sacrifice that we'll offer today. This is my contribution. These are the loaves. The Feast of Pentecost includes the offering of two loaves of bread. Uh, you notice they're leavened. We're back to eating Leaven bread. This is sourdough. So we've captured the leaven from the air and made a starter and made loaves of bread out of it. It's made of fine flour. It's made of the good stuff. It's made of good flour. These are good loaves of bread, and we, we bring them to the altar, and it says the priest waves them before the Lord. I don't know exactly, uh, that's not something they train you to do in seminary. I don't know exactly how this waving goes. No one taught me how to do this. I've never seen it done, but I imagine it's, I don't know, something like, what do I do, a circular wave or a wave and bow or a, like an airplane guy directing the plane? I don't know exactly. Uh, I don't know. I've never seen it done, but all I know is it says very clearly that we take these loaves and we wave them before the Lord. And this is an offering to the Lord. It's, a, it's an expression of praise and thanksgiving. It's recognizing that the grain That we use to make these loaves, God, this came from you. It's yours, it's all yours. You entrusted it to us, and we want to recognize that. And we want to express that. And so we're bringing our best, and we're bringing it to you, and we're offering it. And so it goes on the altar. It's part of the offering of Pentecost. But it's not all, it's not all that we offer for the Feast of Pentecost. In addition to the bread, we bring some livestock as well. We'll need seven lambs. We'll need seven lambs that are one year old, and they will need to be our best. We need lambs that are without blemish. We need lambs that are perfect. In addition to those seven lambs, one year old, without blemish, we need to get one bull, and two rams. By now I expect you know that in addition to the animals that we need to offer we also need to include the grain offering. Grain goes with each and every animal as well as a drink offering. Uh, Wine goes with it as well as well as oil gets mixed in with the grain. So we need to gather up all that stuff and do an offering again. Additionally today for the Feast of Pentecost we need to add one male goat as for the sin offering, we also need to add, in addition to the seven lambs that we've already rounded up, we need to get two more. These ones are for what's called peace offerings. So the sin offering, that goat that someone's going to bring, that we're going to offer, the sin offering is exactly what it sounds like. When we offer this goat as a sin offering, what we are doing is we are recognizing that we have sinned, we, collectively, have sinned before a holy God. We are recognizing that. We are owning it as we sacrifice this goat. We are recognizing that we have fallen short of the glory of our holy God. And we are recognizing that there are consequences to our sin. Sin is costly. And we're owning that. We're recognizing that as we sacrifice this goat as a sin offering. What we are recognizing is that sin breaks relationship with God. And immediately following that, there is a peace offering. The the, the, the phrase peace offering could be, more, more literally it would be, translated a sacrifice of communion. Isn't that lovely? These two lambs are a sacrifice of communion. It's offered as a way of reestablishing communion between one another in our community. It's recognizing that sin breaks fellowship. Sin damages relationships. And so we're offering a sacrifice of communion in order to restore broken relationships. And it's also a way of reestablishing communion with God. It's recognizing that sin Breaks our fellowship with God. And so we offer these two lambs as a sacrifice of communion to reestablish fellowship with one another and to reestablish fellowship with God. Isn't that beautiful? What happened was that this part isn't so beautiful. Uh, the, the, The lambs were slain, the blood was captured. I think now we all have a picture in our mind of those vessels that would capture the blood that are rounded or pointed at the bottom so you cannot set them down, so that you have to keep the blood moving so that it will not coagulate. And out of that vessel it is splashed on the altar. And then the organs are taken out of these two lambs. They're salted and placed on the altar and they are burned, consumed entirely, in the smoke rises up and the smell wafts out and then the meat is eaten it's eaten the priest gets some we the people get some it's eaten together we share a fellowship meal from the from the sacrifice of communion we eat it together in communion with one another re-establishing fellowship with one another and symbolically recognizing that we are in fact through these sacrifices reestablishing our fellowship and communion with God. It's a beautiful thing that we do together every year when Pentecost arrives. Those are the sacrifices, there's the bread sacrifice, there's the animal sacrifices, there's one more sacrifice that goes with Pentecost. It was in the passage that we read today, did you catch it? The last sacrifice that we give in order to honor and celebrate Pentecost is a different kind of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of leaving a small part of your field unharvested. The biblical instruction went like this. It said, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. See, the natural impulse, and you know this, and you do, certainly don't need me to tell you this when you've worked hard in your field, when you've planted, when you've cultivated, when you've fertilized, when you've harvested, you're, you, the, the natural impulse is to make sure you get it all. You don't want to leave any of it behind especially if you're a subsistence farmer, right? If that's all you got, then you want to make sure you get it all. Get it all out of the field. It is not like me and my garden when I've planted way too many tomato plants in the spring, right? Because I just have these visions of salsa and canned tomatoes and all all the rest of it. But then, like, you can only eat so many tomatoes, right? And, and, And by the end of the season, I don't really care if some of them rot on the vine or not, I'm not the first ones, yeah, I want to get all those, but by the end of it, it's a lot of tomatoes. It's more than one, one family needs. Well, it's not like that here. Here, every grain counts. It's a, it reminds when I thought about that, it reminded me of the time I was in Honduras, maybe I've told you this story, I can't remember, but I was in Honduras and I had the privilege of, of, of spending some time uh, harvesting in a, in a coffee. Uh, field with a man who owned the field and uh, he invited me to spend the morning with him harvesting and uh, so we strap on these baskets Uh, it's like a belt with the basket on the front and then you go through to the to the coffee trees and you look for the ripe ones which are the red ones and you pick the red berries and and as I worked side by side uh, with this man we would go to a tree and we absolutely would not move on to the next tree until we had gotten each and every red berry from that one. I mean, none were left behind. He needed to make sure that we got every single one. I mean, his profit, his his margin for profit was just very, very small, right? He couldn't afford to leave any of his harvest in the field. That's what this was like for the people of Israel. They needed all of that grain. And yet, here's God saying to Israel... Look, I know you worked hard on that crop, and I know that you need that harvest. But I am expecting that you will bring a portion of it to me and lay it on the altar. And I am expecting that you will leave a portion of it out in the field. Because even though I know how badly you need it, I also know this there are other people who need it more. There's the poor. There's the sojourners. There are the people who don't have a field to grow their own food in. And I'm asking you as my people to not forget them. So I'm commanding you to make a sacrifice of your labor and of your crop and to leave some of it out there so that those people can have their needs met too. God saying to his people, I know it's going to cost you, but here's the thing. I don't want anybody falling through the cracks. And I'm putting that on you to make sure that you're taking care of the poor and you're taking care of the sojourner. Those gleanings that were left out in the field, that was a sacrifice. That was a sacrifice. It was different than the ones that were burned on the altar. But it was a sacrifice, and it was an expression of worship, no less. Pentecost was a time for celebrating the harvest, but it was also a time for celebrating generosity, a time for giving. Because of that, the book of Ruth came to be associated with the Feast of Pentecost, since Ruth tells the story of a harvest, it also tells the story of generosity. And so the book of Ruth, it's a short book, four chapters, it was read uh, in its entirety uh, as, as part of the Feast of Pentecost. But as you know, Ruth isn't just a story about a harvest, although it is. It's not just a story about generosity, although it is. It is also a story about redemption. And it's a story about inclusion You remember how Psalm 67, right, it is focusing the hearts of the Israelites on a global harvest, right? That's how they get ready for Pentecost is by thinking about and praying about a global harvest that will result in all peoples from all nations praising God, being glad, fearing the Lord. Well, Ruth, Ruth is about the same thing. Ruth contains that same theme. Ruth, Ruth, remember, was a Moabitess. She was a foreigner, a sojourner. She was poor. She was the person that was being talked about in Leviticus when they said, leave some in your field. For who? The poor and the sojourner. Ruth was poor and a sojourner. She was a Moabitist. The Moabites weren't just neutral people that happened to be neighbors. They were enemies. She was a poor, foreign enemy. And yet, the story of Ruth is the story of her adoption into the family of God. And it's through Ruth, the foreign, poor enemy, that God was going to send King David, the deliverer of Israel. So that that theme of global blessing, it continues to run right through the celebration of Pentecost as they read the book of Ruth together. There's a connection between Psalm 67 and the book of Ruth. One more theme that's associated with Pentecost and then we're going to try to tie it all together. The other theme that ties in with Pentecost that the Jewish people associated with Pentecost um, was, uh, well, uh, I'll explain it like this. You you know how, okay, you have Passover and then 50 days later uh, you have Pentecost. Well, You remember Passover, the Jews are released from bondage in Egypt, right? The first Passover. And they began that day, that night, what would become 40 years of wandering in the desert in the promised land, on the way to the promised land. But right on the front end of that trip, in fact, 50 days into that trip, God called Moses up to Mount Sinai and God met with him. And it was at that time that God made Israel his people by giving them his law. The 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 establishment of the Old Covenant happened 50 days after Passover. So the Jewish people began to equate Pentecost not only with the Feast of the Harvest, not only with the global blessing to all nations, but with the receiving of God's law and becoming God's people. Right? That story is told in Exodus 19. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. God says to him, I'm quoting here, If you, Israel, will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the nations. Right? And Moses goes and tells the people about what God just told him, and they say, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. We're in. He's going to give us the law. We're going to keep it. We're going to be his treasured possession. Love it. We're in. And so the Lord says to Moses, all right, in three days, I'm gonna come down on Mount Sinai and I'm gonna meet with you in the sight of all the people. But make sure no one else comes up on the mountain or they will die, just you. So on the third day, Moses goes up. All the rest of the Israelites stay at the base of the mountain. And what happens? Do you remember the scene? We're told there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a loud trumpet blast and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended in fire. And The Lord descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. God comes down and reveals himself with noise and with wind and with fire. This is when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and he gives him a whole bunch of other less famous commandments. This is the old covenant, the covenant of law. And by the time Moses gets back down from receiving the law of God, do you remember the scene? The people of Israel have already broken it. They, they haven't even received it yet. And they've already broken it. By the time he gets down three days later, they are worshiping a golden calf that they have made with their own hands. And as a punishment for their rebellion against God, do you remember the scene? The sons of Levi are told to go through the camp and strike down 3,000 men. The, the, the receiving of the law was supposed to be a cause for celebration. God was establishing his covenant with his people. He was giving them the law to guide them and to bless them. And yet, right at the very beginning, at the establishing of the covenant, 3,000 men lose their lives because of their rebellion against God. Tuck that figure in your mind. We'll come back to it later. Okay. So Pentecost is about celebrating the harvest. It is about anticipating a global harvest of people. And it is remembering the time when God gave his law to his people and made them his own. That's what Pentecost is all about. Now we come to the life and ministry of Jesus and see how this ties in. Jesus, as you remember, was sacrificed on Passover he was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he rose again at the Feast of Firstfruits. Now, count it off, it's 50 days after Firstfruits. It's 50 days after his resurrection, and it's the Feast of Pentecost. And that feast is described, that first Feast of Pentecost after his resurrection, in the book of Acts, and chapter 2. It says, Acts 2 opens with these words. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, listen to this, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, the first first verse opens with the phrase, when the day of Pentecost had arrived. A literal translation would read, when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. The feast of Pentecost had been observed and celebrated by Jews for thousands of years prior to this one, but in some sense it was this Pentecost, 50 days after Christ rose from the dead, that all those other Pentecost celebrations found their fulfillment. Finally, the day of Pentecost is being fulfilled. Okay, so think of the themes of Pentecost that we discussed. The Jewish people are celebrating a new grain harvest from God at Pentecost. That's that's fitting and appropriate. God is the one who provides for our needs. But they were also looking back and remembering when they had received the law from God. And they were looking forward and they were anticipating a global harvest of people from all nations who would be welcomed into the family of God. Now picture the scene in Acts 2. It's the day of Pentecost. People from all nations have gathered together in Jerusalem to worship and to celebrate Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and they begin to speak in different language, languages. To speak in the languages of those global people who had gathered together. In Jerusalem. And they spoke their language, and the, in, the, in that language, they told them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the people gathered there, heard it in their own language, and they responded with a question. They said, well, okay, if that's true, then what shall we do? What, 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 what is the response that we're supposed to give right now? And Peter said, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." And this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, and it's for everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Now those first believers who heard that message and believed it, they were Jewish. They were in town for the Feast of Pentecost, but it wasn't long as they went back to where they came from. It wasn't long before that message was proclaimed and spread beyond the bounds of just ethnic Israel. And like Peter said, that message is for everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So this Pentecost was the beginning of the broadening of the people of God to intr- include all tribes, all nations all tongues. It's the moment in history when God poured out not his law, but God poured out his, his spirit on his people in order to empower them to keep the law and to empower them to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Just like when God came to meet Moses, he met him with wind, and with fire when he established the old covenant. Here he is doing it again. We're told he comes down with wind and with tongues of fire, and he establishes a new covenant. But this time, instead of being external, written on a stone, written on a tablet, this time it's internal, and it's written on their hearts so that they can keep it. And instead of the presence of God being mediated through the person of Moses, now God comes directly upon each individual by faith. And this time, remember the first time, 3,000 people lost their lives and were killed in the giving of the law. Listen to Acts in chapter 2 and verse 41. It says, So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The law was good, but through the law came death because the people were not able to keep it. But the Spirit brought life. Just like God promised in in Jeremiah 31, right? When God said, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day uh, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. God fulfilled that promise on Pentecost. All right, I want to close with one final point. What are we to do, we, us, here, now? What are we to do with this information? Right, we've talked about what Pentecost meant to Israel during the Old Covenant. We've talked about the life and ministry of Jesus and how it ushered in the fulfillment of the promises of Pentecost but now how does this relate to us well here's the thing for us we are living in this season of the global Pentecostal harvest of the people into the family of God right? and we've been commissioned by God to get out there into the field and to participate in this harvest we're invited to go into the field If you want an image to picture, picture that day when all of those combines are out in the field for the food grains harvest, right? Hopefully you've seen that. The field is full of combines, right? And it's awesome and it's beautiful and all that work is getting done. That's what God calls us to be and to do. He says there's a field out there and the grain is ripe. Now go out there and harvest it. That's what Pentecost is all about, and that is what we are called to do. And the thing is, a lot of Christians either don't realize or have forgotten the power that dwells in us through the filling of the Holy Spirit to engage in that work, right? And so I'm going to close with an illustration. Uh, I, it's, it, uh, it might be, it's a little bit of a silly illustration, but bear with me. Uh, it illustrates the point I'm trying to make. So hopefully it'll be memorable. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know, this, this would be a generational thing. I don't know how many of you remember the first Superman movie. Not, not all the Marvel ones that are coming out now, but the first one with Christopher Reeves. You remember him? I do. And uh, in the, I haven't seen the new ones, but I saw that one in the theater. And uh, Superman's name is Clark Kent. And his parents, do you remember? This is the origin story. His parents, they're farmers. They find him in a spaceship in the middle of a field. He's a baby. Superman's not from here. He's from another place. He's he's been launched here from another planet, and he's a baby. They find him, and they raise him as their own. But they know that something's different about him. He's not normal. As he grows up, Clark Kent realizes that he is not normal. That there are things that are different about him. And he finds it frustrating to be different. And the other kids tease him. And one day after a football game, there's this scene, father-son scene, in the first Superman. Clark Kent is speaking with his dad, and he says this. He says, Dad, I could score a touchdown every time I had the ball. Every time, Dad. Is it showing off for a person to do what he's capable of? Is a bird showing off when it flies? I'm sorry, Dad. I know I made a promise, but I just don't think I can handle it anymore. And his dad says to him, he says, Look, son, you've been nothing but a blessing to me and your mother. In the beginning, when you first came, we thought that they'd take you away from us if people found out about the things you could do. But a man thinks different when he gets older. He thinks better. He thinks wiser. He starts to see things more clear. And I know now that as sure as we're going to see the moon tonight, there's a reason why you're here. Now, don't ask me what reason. Don't ask me whose reason. But whoever or whatever, there's one thing I know. You're not here to score touchdowns. Okay? That's the scene. That's the quote. See, if if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for your hope of eternal life, if you are part of the family of God, if Psalm 67 was talking about you when it said, let all the nations be blessed, then God has promised that he has sent his spirit to come and fill you. But so many of us don't know what to do with that. Right? You know, it's like, it's like Clark Kent. We think we're put on earth to score touchdowns or, or whatever the equivalent is for you in your life. But listen, if you're filled by the Spirit of God, then you are empowered for a purpose that goes way beyond yourself and your own life. Right? You were made for something. You were made for someone. You were made for a purpose. God wants to use you to build His church. Do you believe that? That's why you're here. Everybody wants a purpose, right? Talk to anyone. Everybody's looking for a purpose. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Well, if you're part of the family of God, God wants to use you as a witness to Christ. He wants your life to be an arrow pointing to His Son. And He wants to use you to bring lost people home, to be back into relationship with Him, to be invited back into his family. That's our calling and it's what we've been equipped to do by the Holy Spirit. So listen, don't settle for scoring touchdowns when you can participate in the fulfillment of Psalm 67, God's plan of salvation for the world, a world that so badly needs to hear about the Savior. That is what Pentecost is all about. Let's pray together. Dear God, it's amazing to think that that we are in fact your people, your family, and that we are in some ways the fulfillment of the prayers that your people, Israel, were praying as they looked forward to the Feast of Pentecost, praying that your blessing would go forth to the ends of the earth, praying that there would be a people who are made glad by you, praying that all the nations would fear you, and to see, to be able from this vantage point to look back and to see how you fulfilled and are fulfilling those prayers that were prayed by your people so long ago, by pouring out your Spirit on your people and by sending us forth into the harvest, by equipping us with the good news and with your Spirit so that we can be proclaimers of the glory of Jesus Christ and inviters, inviting people to come and participate in your family. And so I pray, I pray for that empowering spirit to rest upon us here at Ebenezer. And I pray that we would be proclaimers of the good news and I pray that you would take that proclamation, that we would take it out into the field and that you would be pleased to use us to bring many uh, home into your family and into the church. And we do that not for our sake and not for our glory, but for your glory. Amen.